Welcome to the radio program, Why Paul? Bringing and interpreting the doctrine Jesus Christ presented through the Apostle Paul. Your hosts are Michael R. Mix, Michelle Mix, David Reed, and Pamela Lampton of 14th Street Ministries. We are here to bring you the answers found in 2 Timothy, verse 2, and encourage you to teach and share this program with others. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Mix, Michelle Mix, and Pamela Lampton. Hi, welcome back to this beautiful May Day, and hope everybody had a great Mother's Day this past weekend. Uh, I'm your host, Michelle Mix. And I'm your host, Michael Mix. And I'm your host, David Reed. And our other host, uh, Pam Lampton, uh, is out today, so we'll keep um, her family in prayer today. Um, And David, could you open us in prayer? Father God, thank you for this time we can spend together. Thank you for the technology that allows us to fellowship with people around the globe. We pray that the content tonight would be pleasing to you, that it would be doctrinally accurate, and we pray that the saints would be edified and that we would be busy about the work of preaching the gospel. It's in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. 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 Uh, So what we're going to start with today is we had questions. Of course, we did assign a homework question. Um, So that'd be our first question. So I'll ask a question and David, we'll see what um, answers uh, that you um, can give us. So that homework question is, what is the difference mentioned in the Bible when it refers to the Holy Ghost versus the Holy Spirit? And I, I believe a listener asked that question, and I, we encourage you to do some homework. Um, what we're going to do, I'm going to point you to a video we have on YouTube. So if you go to the Columbus Bible Church channel on YouTube, there's a video called Holy Ghost versus Holy Spirit. And that video will give you the answer as to that. We're not going to recreate it here. But what I would encourage you to do is before you go to the video, just run the, the, the verses yourself. In other words, you can go to Blue Letter Bible. You can look at all the verses that have Holy Ghost. You can look at all the verses that have Holy Spirit. And by reading and comparing those, you can tell what the, you can uh, reach the conclusion as to whether the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit are different or, or the same or, or whatever they are. I'm not going to give you a spoiler here, but uh, we would encourage you to do that and then check out the video and uh, see what you think. And uh, if you're listening to us um, on our Facebook Live, I did put the link in the Facebook comments section so that you can check that out later. Thanks, Michelle. All right. So our second question is from a Facebook listener. Is the Ephesians had no idea of what Paul was preaching till the end of the book of Acts? Yes, we received that question and wanted to respond to it. If you look with me at Acts chapter 19, verse 1, Acts chapter 19, verse 1, our belief is the Ephesians clearly knew what Paul was teaching far before the end of the book of Acts. If you look at Acts 19, 1, and it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. So we know from Acts 19 that Paul spent a good amount of time in Ephesus. And so uh, when he was there, of course, he taught the saints in Ephesus, uh, the doctrine that had been revealed to him. So we think that the Ephesians did know it far before the end of the book of Acts. So just check that out. Very good. All right. All right. Thank you. And um, another comment from a Facebook listener in Acts 9 7, Paul says, hearing a voice, yet 
in Acts 22.9, he says, but they heard not the voice of him. So let's take a look at those two verses. Um, so with all the stuff that we do, if you would turn along in your Bible, that would be our recommendation. So get Acts 9 and Acts 22, and we'll look at both passages. So in Acts 9, we're going to look at verse 7, Acts 9, verse 7. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. So in Acts 9, it describes the people that are traveling with Paul, and it says that they hear a voice, but they, 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 didn't, they see no man. Acts 22, verse 9 is going to say something slightly different. Acts 22, verse 9. And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. So Acts 9 said, hearing a voice. Acts 22 says, they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. Now, as you go through your Bible study, you will encounter many verses like this, where the verses will say slightly different things. What some people do is they look at that and they say, aha, I knew it. The Bible has errors. Here it says hearing no voice or hearing a voice. There it says heard not the voice. So the Bible has errors. The Bible is wrong. The Bible is contradictory. The Bible can be ignored and doesn't need to be believed. I'd encourage you to just hit pause for a second. God created the universe out of nothing. He literally spoke it into existence. He created it. Well, if God created the vast, vast universe, all the planets, the stars, the galaxies, life, etc., do you think it is a challenging thing for him to write a book and then preserve it? I mean, men write books all the time. So you, you think it's hard for God to write a book? I, I make this point because it seems to me the proper approach to the Word of God is to come to the Word of God believing it, not looking to find errors, not comparing two things, and because they don't make sense to us, concluding it's an error, maybe we should give God the benefit of the doubt. It's just possible that he knows what he's doing. In, in Hebrews 4, verses 12 and 13, it talks about the Word of God as being quick and powerful. In other words, it's living. And then it specifically says it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, did God know, just think about this for a minute, did God know in time past that someone today would point to Acts 9 and Acts 22 and say, well, that's a contradiction. And I'm not saying the person asking the question is saying that, but there are people that do say that. Did God know in time past that someone would point to these verses and say, well, there's an error? Well, of course he did. So why didn't God reword it so that he would eliminate the possibility of someone claiming that. Well, the reason why, obviously, is the word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. In other words, God allowed that to be there because he is testing the hearts of men. People that want to look at that and find it to be an error can do so. Others that have faith in God and trust his word can find ways to harmonize things that may seem different. So let me give you an example. Get with me, if you would, John chapter 12, verse 28. John chapter 12, verse 28. Father, glorify thy name. 
there then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So there's a voice from heaven in verse 28, verse 29. The people therefore that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel spake to him. So what goes on in John 12 is it's rather similar thing. There's a voice from heaven and what happens? Well, all the, the people in that passage are present, but they hear different things, don't they? So some say that it thunders, Others said an angel spake to him. So there was a difference in perception. What we think happened with Paul in Acts 9 is that they were able to hear the noise of the voice that was speaking to Paul, but they weren't able to hear in the sense of discerning the voice. Paul heard what the Lord spoke to him. Others didn't hear what the Lord spoke to him, but they heard a noise. They, they knew that some some sound was being made. We think that's the simple sort of obvious explanation. You, you can reject that and you can say, well, I, I think it's an error. But what, what that is doing is that charges God with folly. You know, it's saying, God, what's the matter with you? You couldn't preserve your word. Are you incompetent? Uh, did you fail in this regard? Well, that's just not a place that, that we're willing to go. And we don't think anyone really should go there um, because it's a, it's a heart of unbelief. And, of course, we would encourage you to believe the word of God. All right. Thank okay. you. Good. Okay. And the next question is, with raising young families and wanting to bring our children up in the Lord, what are some practical applications that we can apply to the family life and devotional times? There is so much out there and it gets overwhelming. Thank you. So first of all, I appreciate the heart of the question, right? In other words, Praise the Lord that, that people want to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That is the primary duty of a parent. And so we applaud you for thinking about uh, thinking about how to do that. I'll give you some simple suggestions. You can, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of other suggestions people have, but here's some ones that we think are worth considering. The first thing is uh, to put a Bible app on your phone that you can listen to on the go. And so here's what happens as, as you just go through life, modern life, you always have your smartphone with you, don't you? I mean, you, you typically do. Mm -hmm. And so the nice thing about that is you can get some really inexpensive, many are free, others are, you, they, they cost a little, but not a lot. Um, you can get a Bible app. And the nice thing with that is you can either through Bluetooth or through a cable, you can just play it over your, your car stereo which, you know, what I find to be the case, what used to drive me crazy before smartphones, I'd get in the car and I'd just keep, hit, keep hitting seek because I'd get bored with this channel and I'd want, you know, and you get tired of the commercials and then there's just nonsense. And like, you can't find anything good to listen to. Well, the nice thing about the, the, the smartphone, if you put a Bible app on there, you can listen to the Bible anytime you're in the car. Um, it's, it's a great way to, to redeem the time, right? It makes traffic less annoying if you realize you're accomplishing a spiritual purpose while you're in the car. That would be our first thought. The second thought, th this is something that, that I just think is a good practice. What happens with children is young children come to a point where they are able to understand the gospel. And so what I think is a really good practice is just continually covering with your children the gospel. And what I mean by that is I would cover... 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, for Christ died for our sins. Uh, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, was buried and rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. 
And I would teach them to memorize that at an early age. And I'd teach them to memorize Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. And you, you can quote it as well. But I'd, I'd have them memorize 1 Corinthians 15, 3, and 4. I'd have them memorize Ephesians 2, 8, 9. I'd have them memorize uh, Acts 16, 30, and 31, where the Philippian jailer says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I would have them memorize those, those type of verses so that when they come to the point where they're, they're intellectually capable of understanding the gospel, they already have those verses in their memory. And so they can immediately realize, here's the answer of what I need to do. I realize I'm a sinner. I realize I've, you know, I have done wrong things. I've done things that God is not pleased about. But the answer is Christ died for our sins, and I have that committed to memory. Um, so children have, you know, what I find to be the case, children have in some ways much better memories than we do. Uh, I think it's easier to train them. Um, so teaching your children gospel verses again and again and again is a good practice because it allows them to believe the gospel at a very, very early age, which I would say is the primary goal a parent should have for their child is to get them to a knowledge and understanding of the gospel very early in life. And then the third thing, so what do you do beyond that? What do you do once uh, the children are saved, they understand the gospel? Um, of course, you want to teach them the Bible. One of the things that I think is a, a good practice is to teach them stories. And by that, I mean, you know, David and Goliath, uh, Elijah on Mount Carmel. Doesn't everyone love stories? I mean, People watch movies, they read fiction books. Why? Because they like stories. Well, the Bible is full of great stories. And so that's what I would do. Uh, you can read them to them and you read them out loud and people enjoy them. So those are, those are suggestions that we have for you. I'm sure you can find others. Yeah, very good. And do you think that also with that, um, as far as with children, teaching them at that young age, especially of the gospel, uh, that it um, becomes natural. Um, as far as what I'm thinking is, <clears throat> um, I've gone to, um, I'm blessed with parents who uh, took me to church at a very young age. I started out in the bus, riding a bus, and then very quickly my parents, you know, started coming as well. And even before we got on that bus, we were still taught, you know, about Christ. And so it just became natural. Like to me, thinking somebody don't know that, you know, so right. is that something that, you know, would help with children is that it'd become natural for them. Yeah, all I think the, it we gives all them have security. our own will, but it gives them that natural thought. Yeah. I Plus think it builds right. security in them too. It makes it them does. feel safe. I think. Well, and, and, you know, the, the Lord says during his earthly ministry, suffer the little children to come to me for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And you don't find little children that claim to be atheists, right? Mm -hmm. they, they, they don't do that and they don't believe evolution. They, they instinctively understand that God made things. Yeah, and sure. so when they're in that, in that state of innocence and they're, 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 they have hearts that are, that are innocent, you know, that are willing to believe the truth, um, that, that's a wonderful time to teach them. So yeah, I, I think it makes perfect sense to do it at that time and to get as much good content, good doctrine, stored in them so and they, believe, and they believe they believe whatever you tell them they do so if you're giving them something sound well that's right they look up to mom and dad and they believe what yeah. mom and dad tell them yeah that's right 
And and I think if <clears throat> just to get them already started on, you know, not just going by something that um, I'm believing something because someone told me, you know, you said, bring it up the scriptures, have them in the Bible with you in the actual Bible. That way they are knowing this is from the word of God. And don't make it like a fairy tale. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a... Yeah, when it's when Romans ten seventeen says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, it's a wonderful thing if what you do is you take the child and you point them to a verse and you read the verse to them, you let them read it along with you, and you're 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 inculcating, you're training them to where do I look for the answers of life? Mm-hmm. Well, I find a verse and the verse tells me the answer. So I it, it communicates to them that the Bible is the answer book for life, which it is. Yeah, true. Mm-hmm. Yes. So uh, thank you uh, for answering those questions. And thank you for everyone um, bringing those questions to us. Um, And right before we go to break, um, uh, Michael, can you read um, Ephesians 4, 1 through 4? And then that'll get us right to where we uh, left off last week when we come back from break. Okay. Ephesians 4, um, chapter 4, 1 through 4. Uh, This is in regards to the walk and service of the believer as in Christ and as having the spirit, the walk to be worthy, our walk to be worthy of the position. In uh, chapter four, verse one through four, therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthily of the vocation wherewith you are called with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love and endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bonds of peace. There is one body, one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. All right. And, and with that, uh, when we come back from break, we're going to pick it right up at uh, Ephesians 4, uh, 5. Um, actually, we'll start at 4-4. We'll talk about that, and then we'll move to 5. All right, see you right after break. Great. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 14th Street Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. Your donations are most appreciated. You can make donations on our website at 14thstreetministries.com. Our goal is to preach the gospel to a lost and dying world. Our message is to lift the believer, teaching sound doctrine by rightly dividing the word of truth. We are a grace ministry. You can reach out to us by calling 314-243-3779 or by contacting us on the web at 14thstreetministries.com or follow our Facebook page. Look for 14th Street Online Bible Study. It's time to serve, learn, change the world. Tune in each week for The Power of Young People to Change the World, hosted by NYLC's CEO, Amy Muirs. The program is a forum for both young people and the adults who love and support them. We make connections with others through stories of change, partnership, and new perspectives of issues facing the world today. Be sure to join us every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time, or anytime on demand on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
What's the difference between leaders who achieve exceptional results with ease and those who struggle to keep up? Tune in for Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. You'll discover the simple practices that are making the biggest difference to a leader's success today. You'll meet leaders who are bringing out the best in their teams. You'll gain practical strategies to lead yourself and others to high performance with ease. Leading on Purpose airs live Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to the radio program, Why Paul? If you'd like to participate in today's program, call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to Michael R. Mix at 14thStreetMinistries.com. Now back to Why Paul. And welcome back from break. And so we'll jump back right into Ephesians. Um, uh, David, can we go ahead and start with, um, we'll start with Ephesians 4.4. And Michael, if you could read that again for us. All righty. There is one body. And one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. Very good. When when you look at verse verses four, five, and six of Ephesians four, we're going to see seven unities, and we're going to start in verse four. But there's seven different unities that are that are given, and those unities are a good thing. Division is is not a good thing. Unity is a good thing. Sometimes what people will think is they will think insistence on correct doctrine is a bad thing because doctrine divides us. And what we should all do, they think, is just have a big group hug and, you know, that'll solve everything. Well, the word of God is given for the purpose of doctrine. You know that from 2 Timothy 3.16. And the way to have unity is for everyone to believe the word of God. See, if everyone believes the Word of God, it doesn't matter where you are on the earth. It doesn't matter what language you speak. You can be unified if you all believe the same infallible authority. And so what that means is what, what each believer should individually do to guarantee unity is they should believe the Word of God. So what, the first thing, the first unity that's mentioned in verse 4 is one body. And the idea there is there's only one body of Christ. People sometimes think there's different bodies. There's a body in early Acts and a body after Acts and so on, and that's just not true. Ephesians 4.4 specifically says there is one body. Ephesians 4.4 then says there is one spirit, and we know what that one capital S spirit is. That's the Holy Spirit. The last part of verse 4 mentions this. It says, even as you are called in one hope of your calling— well, what's the one hope of your calling? If you'd look with me at Romans 8, verse 23, Romans 8, verse 23, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. So the word adoption in scripture is used to mean the redemption of our body. In other words, the rapture. Where do you get your new body? You don't have it yet, nor do I. When are we going to get it? We're going to get it at the rapture. The rapture is described as the adoption, the redemption of our body. 
when, when Ephesians 4, 4 talks about the one hope of your calling, uh, Titus calls that the blessed hope. In other words, we're looking for that day when we can be delivered from the body of this flesh. This current body we reside in still has our sin nature. And so, and by the way, it's corruptible, it decays. Have you ever noticed any problems with this body? You Mm -hmm. have, and uh, they're gonna get worse, right? That's just how life goes. But the glorious thing is there is an answer. And the answer is there is one hope of your calling, what scripture calls the adoption, where we get our new bodies. So with that, we can go to the next verse. All right. Uh, <clears throat> Ephesians 4, 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So we know who the one Lord is, don't we? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. So that one's pretty simple. What's the one faith? Um, well, if you look at Ephesians 4, verse 13, we're going to go ahead just a couple verses for a minute. It says, till we all come in the unity of the faith. In other words, that's that's oneness, right? In other words, we can be united in the faith by all believing it. And what that requires, of course, is it requires people to believe the written word of God and not their private interpretations. A lot of times what happens is people come to the Bible and they massage the text of the Bible so that it matches the doctrine they want to believe. And so they tweak it and they say, well, you know, the original Greek really means this. And well, this verse would be better translated as such and such. And you don't want to mess around with any of that because that that is the pathway to private interpretation. It can mean whatever you want it to mean. But instead, what we need to do is we need to understand the word of God as it is literally written. That's the idea of the unity of the faith. And then the last part of verse five talks about one baptism. There's a little bit of confusion about this, so let's look at a couple verses. Get 1 Corinthians 12, 13. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Now, we've covered this in past programs, but you're well aware that there's more than one baptism in the scriptures. For example, in Matthew 3, there's a baptism of water, a baptism of the Holy Ghost, and a baptism of fire. Well, there's more than one baptism in the scriptures. There's, there's many baptisms. But yet Paul says there's one baptism today. So what does he mean? 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. So the baptism in 1 Corinthians 12, 13 is not a water baptism because notice what it says, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body? Here's what happens. The moment that you believe the gospel of Christ, in other words, that Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again the third day, the moment you believe that, you are spiritually baptized. You are spiritually placed into the body of Christ that instant. Look with me at Galatians 3.27. Galatians 3.27, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Again, that's not water. That's a spiritual identification with Jesus Christ. One more passage, Romans 6, verse 3. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, again, that's not water, were baptized into his death. Well, plainly, that's not water, right? We, we were spiritually baptized into his 
death. In other words, the one baptism for today simply is this. The moment that you believe the gospel, a spiritual baptism takes place. And what happens is you are spiritually baptized, you are spiritually placed into the body of Christ that moment. Scripture calls that being baptized into Christ. It says we have put on Christ. So we all need to partake of that baptism by, of course, believing the gospel. So that's verse 5. Let's do verse 6. Okay, Ephesians 4, 6. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So the one God and Father there is obviously Father God. Uh, you know, it's 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 Jehovah. Uh, and so if you take those seven unities together, if everyone operated by those seven unities, those seven ones that are identified, there would be unity in the body of Christ. But what happens is people don't all operate by those, and that's why there's so much division. Let's go to verse seven, if we could. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So this is this is an important verse, and we really need to be careful to understand this. The key thing we need to figure out is what is it saying when it says unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ? What's that talking about? Get Romans 12, verse 3. Romans 12, verse 3. Now, while you're turning there, I'm going to make a quick point. Whenever you come across a verse that is difficult to understand or it's, it's unclear, you're not sure what it's saying, the best advice is to reread the verse and to look at the context. And when you do that, a lot of your questions will be answered. But sometimes that won't solve it for you. It's not enough. What do you do? Well, the answer is that there will be another verse that explains it. The Lord says in John 10 that the scriptures cannot be broken. The scriptures are interlaced. And so what happens is if there's a verse that is unclear to you, there's another verse that explains it, and you just have to find where it is. What I'm going to suggest for Ephesians 4 verse 7 is that Romans 12 explains what what it's talking about. So Romans 12 verse 3, for I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Okay, so we see a measure of faith here that's sort of like the measure of the gift of Christ. Let's keep reading. For as we have many members in one body, well, that's a lot like what we were just looking at in Ephesians 4, Mm -hmm. and all members have not the same office. So we're all part of one body, but do we all do the same thing within the body? No, we don't. Does your big toe do the same things that your elbow does? It doesn't. It's all part of the body, but has a different function, doesn't it? Verse uh, verse 5, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Here's what's going on there. What it's saying is that within the body of Christ, there are different offices, and everyone has different skills, has different things. They have different roles that they're 
designed to play within the body of Christ. Get with me 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. That's an important verse. What do we naturally do? And you, you, you know this. What do people naturally do on the earth? Well, they focus on keeping up with the Joneses. Did you see the neighbor got a new car? Boy, that's a nice car. I like to have one of those. Did you see that someone else in the neighborhood, they added on an addition in the back? They have a lot bigger place than we do. And what, what a lot of humanity does is we compare ourselves with others. And what 2 Corinthians 10 tells you specifically is that's not wise. That's not a smart thing to do. One of the reasons it's not a smart thing to do, what we were just looking at in Romans 12, are there different roles within the same body? There are. Is any part of the body something that you would prefer not to have? Would you rather not have your elbow? Would you rather not have your feet? Because you know maybe your feet stink. You say, well, I, I wish I didn't have my feet. Well, you're, you'd be thankful you have your feet right? So every part of the body is an essential part of the body, and it is a mistake to start comparing different body parts. Look at verse 13. But we will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. Notice verse 15. Not boasting of things without our measure, that is, of other men's labors, but having hope when your faith is increased that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly. So what's that saying? Here's what it's simply saying. The way to evaluate your ministry is on the basis of labor. In other words, it's not what you do and, 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 and mercy and cheerfulness and giving and teaching. It's not that one is better than another. But the idea there is you should perform the role that has been given to you and you should labor to do it is the idea. Right. So that's verse seven. Okay. <clears throat> so we have verse eight. Verse eight is uh, wherefore. He saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captive captive and gave gifts unto men. So we got a decision here. We either need to go to a break now or we're going to skip a break because I've got a lot to say about this first. So which would you like to do? <clears throat> go ahead. We're, we're going to skip that break. Okay, here we go. So verse eight says, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. Now that is the most common verse that is used, or at least that I'm familiar with, where people think that the Old Testament saints were taken to heaven at that time. And now here's what I mean. What people think is before the cross, the Old Testament saints were in paradise in Abraham's bosom, and they couldn't go to heaven yet because the Lord had not yet shed his blood. But then the cross occurred, the Lord shed his blood for man's sins, and people think, well, after that occurred, then God took all the Old Testament saints, and he took them from where they were inside the earth, and he took them to heaven at that time. Ephesians 4 verse 8 is a verse that people use to prove that because they say when he ascended up on high, that's the Lord ascending, he led captivity captive. So he took those Old Testament saints, and he took them to heaven at that time. 
Now, I'm going to suggest to you that's not what that verse is saying at all. So Ephesians 4 verse 8 is a quotation of the Old Testament verse, Psalm 68, 18. So let's go to Psalm 68, 18. Psalm 68, 18, thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive. You can see that's a cross-reference, can't you? Mm-hmm. And then notice what the verse then says, thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. So Ephesians 4.8 is a quotation of Psalm 68.18. Now, what's fascinating about that is that Psalm 68.18 is also quoted in Acts chapter 2. So get Acts chapter 2, verse 33. Now, while you're turning there, I'm going to make a little point. See, when you read Ephesians 4, verse 8, and it says, wherefore he saith, it's describing a verse in the Old Testament. So what you should do as a student is you should say, well, I better go find that Old Testament verse, because if he's quoting it here, I better read that verse, and I better look at the context and make sure I understand it. And when you go look at that Old Testament verse, one of the things that you're going to notice as you study that verse is you realize, wait a minute, Psalm 68:18. it is quoted in Ephesians 4, verse 8, but that's not the only place in the New Testament where Psalm 68 to 18 is quoted. It's also quoted in Acts 2. So Acts 2, verse 33, therefore being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this. So whereas Psalm 68, 18 talks about thou hast received gifts for men, Acts 2, 33 talks about where the Lord having received the Holy Ghost. So you can see how those two line up. Now, what's fascinating, read verse 34. Now, remember, when we started in Ephesians 4, verse 8, the idea was that when the Lord led captivity captive, that's when he took Old Testament saints to heaven. That's what the people think it's referring to. Read Acts 2, 34. For David is not ascended into the heavens. Wow. Acts 2.34, is that after the cross? It is. It's well after the cross. In fact, not only is it after the cross, it's after the ascension, Mm -hmm. because the ascension occurred in Acts 1. And yet, in Acts 2, what does the verse say about David? He's not ascended into the heavens. Well, if he's not ascended into the heavens, then he was in Abraham's bosom where he always was. Now, that's just a scriptural reality. I mean, I know that that's contrary to to maybe what you've heard or what you've been taught. Um, And so you have a choice, you know, obviously study it. But I would tell you, you're always better off believing the verses. So I personally, I don't believe Old Testament saints were taken to heaven after the cross, because in Acts 2, Peter, speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit, specifically says, David is not ascended into the heavens. Well, if he's not ascended into the heavens, then what makes you think the Old Testament saints are in the heavens? They're just not. Get with me 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22. Now, what we've just seen from what we looked at in Acts 2.34 is Ephesians 4, verse 8 doesn't have anything to do with the Old Testament saints going to heaven. I'm just going to put that out there. It doesn't. And Acts 2.34 tells you that. So now we have a new problem, don't we? Well, if Ephesians 4, verse 8 is not talking about Old Testament saints going to heaven, What's it talking about? It's got to be talking about something. Well, look with me at 1 Peter 3, verse 22. 
This is describing the Lord who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God. Notice angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. First Peter 3.22 is also a verse about the Lord's ascension. It talks about him going into heaven. And what does it say is true? Or what does it connect the Lord's ascension into heaven with? It connects it with angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. In other words, who's calling the shots? Who's running things? Who's in charge? And the answer is the Lord Jesus Christ. Get with me Judges chapter 5, verse 12. Judges chapter 5, verse 12. So what we just saw in 1 Peter is that the Lord's ascension is connected with angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. What I want to look at next in Ephesians 4, verse 8, is it says, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. And what we want to try to do is just understand what is that talking about? He led captivity captive. What does that even mean? We'll get Judges 5, verse 12. Judges 5, 12. Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, awake. Utter a song. Arise, Barak, and lead thy captivity captive. Wow. That's almost verbatim what we read in Ephesians 4, verse 8, isn't it? Lead thy captivity captive, thou son of Abinoam. Well, in Judges 5, verse 12, we see leading captivity captive. But what's really helpful in Judges 5 is we have some context that'll tell us exactly what it means to lead captivity captive. Get with me, Judges chapter 4, verse 1. Now you say, wait a minute, you're going all the way over to Judges 4. Well, here's the thing. Whenever you look at a verse, you have to look at its context. And its context may be more than just the single verse above it It, or the single verse below it. Sometimes you have to read the whole chapter. Sometimes you have to read the chapter beforehand. In other words, I know that we all like shortcuts, but the the reality is to to do thoughtful study, you have to to get a, a sense, you have to get a background, you have to get a sense of what's going on in each passage. So Judges 4 verse 1. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord when Ehud was dead. So you may recall in the book of Judges, what happens again and again is Israel does evil in the sight of the Lord. And then they repent and they say, Lord, deliver us. And the Lord will raise up a judge and the judge will deliver them. And Israel will walk with the Lord for a while. And then they'll say, no, we're going to go back to our old ways and we're going to do our own thing rather than walk with you. And the Then they get into trouble again, and the Lord raises up a new judge, and it happens again and again and again. Well, in Judges 4.1, what's happened is Israel is again doing evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud is dead, after Ehud died. Now, notice verse 2. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan. In other words, they were conquered. In other words, the king of Canaan was ruling over them. They didn't listen to, to, they weren't obeying God. So God said, I'm going to allow you to be taken captive by the king of Canaan. And that's what happened. Look at verse seven. And I will draw thee to the river Kishon, Sisera, the captain, and I will draw unto thee, pardon me, I misread that. And I will draw unto thee 
to the river Kishon, Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army with his chariots and his multitude, and I will deliver him into thine hand. So notice what's happened here. In verse two, Israel is in captivity to the king of Canaan. But in verse seven, what does God say he's going to do? I'm going to draw Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army. In other words, I'm going to deliver the army that's holding you captive. I'm going to deliver them into your hands. That's what he's saying, right? Verse seven specifically says, and I will deliver him into thine hand. Notice verse 14. And Deborah said unto Barak, up, for this is the day in which the Lord hath delivered Sisera into thine hand. So what are we learning in Judges 4? In Judges 4, Israel was captives, but God was going to deliver into Israel's hands the people that were holding them captives. In other words, the people that were the oppressors, the captors, the guards, the the ones that were ruling over oppressing Israel, they were going to become the captives. It's sort of a reversal of fortune. You see that? Mm -hmm. So in Judges 5.12, when it talks about leading captivity captive, it's the idea of those that were the, the guards, the oppressors, they're taken captive. That's the idea. Get Isaiah 14, verse 2. Isaiah 14, verse 2. And the people shall take them and bring them to their place, and the house of Israel shall possess them in the land of the Lord for servants and handmaids. Now, notice this next part of the verse. And they shall take them captives whose captives they were, and they shall rule over their oppressors. Mm -hmm. Well, that couldn't be more clear, could it? In other words, there were some people that were oppressors. They were the captors, but what's going to happen? They're going to be taken captive. Get Revelation 13, verse 10. Revelation 13, verse 10. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and faith of the saints. So what have we seen so far? I would suggest to you what we've seen is that when Ephesians 4 verse 8 talks about leading captivity captive, we can tell from Judges 5 and Isaiah 14 and Revelation 13 what that phrase means. When someone leads captivity captive, It's a reference to the people that used to be the guards, the oppressors, the captors. They become the captives. That's what it's talking about. So now let's think about Ephesians 4 verse 8 again. When it says the Lord led captivity captive, can that be a reference to the Old Testament saints? My answer is no, because the Old Testament saints were not prisoners in Abraham's bosom. So think about it this way. If you're an Old Testament saint and you die, does God say, and I'm talking about, not talking about lost people, lost people that die in the Old Testament, where do they go? They go to hell, right? Mm-hmm. Are they captors? Are they captives? Yeah, they're captives, right? Because they can't get out. But did God take the Old Testament saints like Abraham, 
like uh, like Isaac and Jacob and David? Did he say, I'm going to put you guys in jail? I'm going to put you in captivity? He didn't do that. They were in a place that's called paradise. So when Ephesians 4 verse 8 talks about leading captivity captive, it can't be talking about believing Israel because they weren't they weren't prisoners in paradise. Get That's a good point. Me, get with me Colossians 2.15. And I'm going to tell you what I think the answer is. So as we think about leading captivity captive, we have to think of someone that used to be an oppressor, but now becomes a captive. Well, that's mm-hmm. not an Old Testament saint, but here's who I think it might be. Colossians 2.15, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. When it talks about spoiling principalities and powers, it's talking about the devilish powers that exist in God's heavenly government. In other words, when Satan and his angels rebelled, did God send them to hell that very moment? He didn't. He allowed them to continue in their heavenly positions because there's purposes that God is accomplishing. And they are they were permitted to operate in those roles. But what Colossians 2.15 says is really remarkable. It says, having spoiled. The word spoiled there means to be defeated militarily and robbed of your possessions. In other words, you've ever heard of the term, the spoils of war. Mm -hmm. The idea there is Mm -hmm. what do the victors do? They take all the stuff. That's, that's how war works. May not be nice, may not be kind. It's the reality of war. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ, what he did is he spoiled principalities and powers. In other words, through the cross, he conquered them and he took from them everything that they had. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, He also himself, this is Jesus Christ, likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. I'm going to read that last part again because I think it's just beautiful. Mm -hmm. That through death, so when the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross, it may have looked like weakness in man's eyes, right? Because his life was expiring as he surrendered it. He laid it down. No one took it from him. He laid it down. That through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. So the devil used to have the power of death, but what happened at the cross? He was destroyed by Jesus Christ. And because the devil was destroyed, the, the Lord Jesus Christ spoiled principalities and powers. In other words, he won. He took them captive. They formerly had power, but now what do they have? Zippo, zilch, nada. And that's really what the verse is about. When it's talking about leading captivity captive, it's a reference to the fact that before the Lord accomplished what he did on the cross. Satan occupied these positions in the heavenlies and he was allowed to occupy them. But what the Lord Jesus Christ did in dying on the cross 
and purchasing the body of Christ, which when you believe the gospel today, you get in the body of Christ, God is going to use the body of Christ to replace Satan and his angels, his minions in the heavenlies. It's the complete and utter destruction of Satan's heavenly government. It was destroyed. It was spoiled by the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so get with me one more verse. Uh, get with me 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 7. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 7. This is a verse we've quoted on the program a couple times because it's a very important verse. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom. God concealed this, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Satan before the cross enters into Judas. He wants the Lord to be betrayed. And he brings about the cross using the using the power he has, but of course the Lord Jesus Christ submits to it. What Satan has no idea is going to happen is that the Lord's death will not only redeem Israel, it will purchase the body of Christ, which will eliminate Satan's hold on the heavens forever. And that's what it's talking about when leading captivity captive. So I know we went a long way around to discuss that, but I think it's helpful to understand what's really going on there. That's not the Old Testament saints going to heaven. That's the Lord Jesus Christ destroying Satan through the cross. That's what that verse is about. There might be a question about, okay, the ones that um, are in paradise now, when do they um, get their resurrection or whatever? That is a fantastic question. And in fact, I think we should start with that one next time, to be honest with you, because I would have more than a couple seconds to say about that. Okay. Remember that. Okay. (laughs) Let's do that. I will take notes. I'm taking my pen yeah. and making notes. Sure. Okay. So, so just briefly, if I'll say one quick thing. So we covered a lot of doctrine tonight, but friends, the gospel is simple. Christ died for our sins, was buried, rose again the third day. You're not saved by works. You're saved when you have faith in the blood that Jesus Christ shed for you. Salvation is an eternal free gift you can, you can obtain in a moment by believing the gospel. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you. And and that really um, led right, you know, um, perfect with uh, ending with that um, verse of Ephesians 4, 8. Uh, that was a great explanation there. And uh, Michael, did you have one more thing you wanted to say before we go today? Well, I was wanting to read uh, verse um, uh, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4. Mm-hmm. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reproof, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap up themselves teachers having itching ears. Amen. All right. Amen. So uh, really great information you gave us this week, David. And so everyone join us back next week and we're going to um, hear the conclusion of that Ephesians. So uh, see everybody next week. You have been
been listening to Why Paul? Visit us on the web at 14thStreetMinistries.com. And please join Michael R. Mix, Michelle Mix, David Reed, and Pamela Lampton again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for more thoughts and wisdom. Also, be sure to tell everyone about our program. Yeah.